Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm glad to see the snow or not. <laughs> I'm still wrestling with it. No. So anyway, but December is here, and it looks like December out there. Well, this morning we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and looking at the first 12 verses of this chapter here and moving on in our study. And uh, don't worry, the teaching will turn to Christmas before long, <laughs> but we're going to continue in 1 Corinthians this morning. <clears throat> And I've had something I really want to say to you this week, so here it goes. Bar, 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 bar. Did you get all that? All right. Did you understand anything I just said? All right. I'll come back to that later and explain why I did that. <laughs> I've shared the story uh, with you before, uh, some of the stories of my growing up and some of the churches I visited when I was a kid and didn't know anything about Jesus Christ or his word and didn't come from a Christian home, didn't come from a home where the Bible was read and taught and understood and visited church with a couple of people in my life over the years. And I remember as a younger kid going to a church with a, uh, it was a neighbor of mine and they went to a, uh, basically it was a Pentecostal church. Maybe it was apostolic, but either way. And, uh, and I remember being young enough to go the first few times and playing with micro machines on the back pew, you know, during the, and not listening to anything. But, uh, but as uh, maybe I got a little bit older, I would go from time to time with him to visit. Um, saw some things, heard some things that I certainly did not understand. And I certainly saw people get up. I remember one service very vividly where multiple people got up. And they were all saying things and moving around. There was a lot of energy. And I didn't understand a word they were saying. I didn't know what, what was going on. I didn't understand it. It was never explained what was happening. <clears throat> and, I, and I think about that, and I look back on that, and all I remember is just the activity. And had no, I had no understanding of what was happening. And that's what I left with. No clarity. I didn't leave knowing Jesus Christ any better. I didn't leave understanding the Word of God any better. But I, I remember seeing those things. And I also remember a time where I visited a church with someone else, and I was still young, and I remember sitting in the Sunday school class and having cookies and things, which was all, I remember that. That was good. That was positive. <laughs> Give me cookies. I'm good. But I remember going to that church and seeing things that I didn't understand. People were getting up, moving around. One person would touch the other person, and they would go on the floor, and they'd be writhing on the floor, and people were again saying things I didn't understand. And I left. I, I, I remember just a little bit what was said in Sunday school, but that's it. <laughs> I'd left with no greater understanding of God, His Word, Jesus Christ, or any of that. But I attended. I saw activity. I saw things happening, but I left, and, I, and, I, and I, that's what I, my point is, what did I take away from that? What did I take away from that? And that brings us back to what we've been talking about in 1 Corinthians here for a while now, is the idea of the spiritual gifts that were active in the church at that time, including the speaking of tongues and gifts of knowledge and prophesying. And things that were happening as God was further establishing the body of Christ, further giving revelation at the time until that would cease. And Paul, it was an important topic because, because Paul spends three chapters dealing with it. 
Romans 12, 13, and 14. It's what he's been talking about spiritual gifts, how they use them, what's their, what they're for. And just keep in mind, as we, we kind of close out 1 Corinthians 14 in the weeks ahead, in, in this part of the book, Paul is still dealing with a greater subject of letting love limit one's liberty as they deal with other people. This is something he's been talking about for multiple chapters, is letting love be the guide in your life, directing in what you participate in, what you don't participate in, how you treat your neighbor, the things you uh, bring a, make them part of your life. And here especially, he was dealing with how does love look like in, when they come together as a congregation and they worship together and they, and they have these things. And that's what chapter 14 is kind of ultimately explaining. And Paul gives guidelines and, and he gives principles in this chapter that still affect us today. We, we, it's easy to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and, and see speaking in tongues and prophesying and read through that as fast as you can to get to the good stuff in chapter 15 when Paul's talking about the resurrection. And you can kind of like, yeah, that's, that's for me there. But chapter 14, there's still lots of principles. And one of the key ones is what we've titled this message, that we as a church make sure that we are excelling in edification. And edification, edification just means to build up others. That that's what we as a church or any church is meant to excel in. The Corinthians were trying to excel in spiritual gifts. That's how they judged their own spirituality. That's how they kept score. You think anybody, anybody's out there doing that today, keeping score by one so-called spiritual activity and abilities? Keeping score of how spiritual they really are in life and judge, making judgment calls based on that? I think you'd probably agree that there are, that that does go on. But here, Paul brings clarity to these things. He continues to bring clarity to them. And so, again, I think back to what I experienced as a kid and knowing for certain that I left those services with nothing except the memory of what happened and not understanding, not a word of it. And... And again, this brings clarity to that. As Paul even guides them, while these things were active, how does it look like when you come together? And what does loving each other look like when you have these spiritual gifts? Okay, so let's look at this. And we're going to look at the first five verses to begin. And here again, Paul says, pursue love. See, we still got that in mind. we still got love in mind. And that's what he's explaining, how it looks like. Pursue love. And desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. It's simple here, the lesson Paul's seeking to teach to the Corinthians, and it's this, what you have on your handout, that gifts are meant to edify others. He's reminding the Corinthians that God gave you these things in the first place so you can minister to other people. You could reach out to other people. 
And, and what we get, what, one of the takeaways I have from the first few verses is that it's a simple thing, but we are to pursue that which can bless others. That's a simple thing, right? We're to pursue that which can bless others. The focus, again, is love and really to be other-centered, to, to have a mind for others as they exercise their gifts. And right away, that speaks to us today. What are we about? Why do we do the things that we do? Are we seeking to bless others? Or, like he says of the person speaking in tongues in verse 4, are we just trying to edify ourselves? We're just trying to build up self. It's interesting how he phrases that in verse 4. So again, Paul is continuing, in one sense, his discussion on spiritual gifts is actually his discussion on love, agape love, that always puts others first. And he brings it into verse 14 and tells us to pursue love. And I just have to say that the word for pursue there is the Greek word dioko. And I just want to share that for our adult Sunday school class who heard that word last week and saw that word, that it can mean pursue, but it can also mean persecute. Right? Persecute. So he's basically saying, if you're going to chase after something in life, chase after love, not gifts. Go after what can help others. Make that the thing you're zealous about. Now, he does not, he does not um, downplay spiritual gifts. He never seeks to say they're no good. He never says that. He would say they're very good. He wants the Corinthians to use them, to possess them. But again, it was their approach to ministry that was in question. And he tells us in verse 1, he told them to desire those spiritual gifts. Yes, yes, it's good to want to see God work in and through you as a local body. That's a good thing. And he's got gifts in mind. And he's already talked about how these gifts can bless others. And he talked about how some were sent out to Gentile lands and some could prophesy and some could teach. And then there were certain ones that could speak in tongues, which is just a foreign language. The ability to speak a language which one had never learned. And then he even talks about people who could interpret those things. So what was said could be understood in some context. And he says all these things can be good. All these things can be profitable. But if they're used the right way, with the right focus... But he says right away in verse 1, he says, especially that you may prophesy. And he basically says, put this on the top of your list. If you're making a list to the Corinthians, if you're making a list of the spiritual gifts that you think are the greatest, they would have put tongues at the top. Look at what I can do. And he says, what he's saying in this chapter basically is actually it's more useful if you could prophesy. Because then people can understand what you're saying. And they can take something away from when you come together. And they can learn, they can grow in the Lord. So that's why he says, especially that you may prophesy, because he's ascribing greater value in the sense of ministering to others, blessing others. It's going to become evident in this chapter that when what was going on in Corinth, and we don't know how common this was. We don't know everything that was happening in the first century church. We're given a window here of the way the Corinthian church looked. And we see they were speaking in tongues, but what becomes evident is in some cases, even the, the, a lot of time, the speaker didn't even know what he was saying. And so if there wasn't someone that could interpret it, reverse it back into a language they understood, nobody would have known what was said, not even the person saying it. Now that seems odd to us. And it, was, it seems to be that God's point was some of that, 
was to be a very attention-getting thing. He, later he talks about uh, how get, tongues are a sign. It was meant to get the attention of the community, Jews and Gentiles both in Corinth. And if some could supernaturally say something, whether they could understand it or not, it would show some evidence of the Spirit's work. But you can imagine as a body of believers comes together and, one, and a guy stands up in the service and says something and he doesn't even know what he said, what in the world's the takeaway? <laughs> what in the world have we accomplished today? And again, putting all this in the right perspective. Verse 2, he says again, The one who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. So again, he's bringing out the point there. Yes, someone stands up. The spirit may be speaking to them. God knows what's said because God knows all. But the church didn't know what was said, and maybe the speaker didn't even know what was said. He's still speaking something true. The Spirit gave him this truth. He calls it a mystery or a secret, something that the Spirit revealed. But again, Paul's asking, what good does it do if nobody can understand it? Now, and then, well, let me just make a comment here again. In um, visiting... Those churches, as I, as I was telling you about when I was a kid, do you think that that had more of a draw on me or more of a repelling me away from that? What do you think it did? You don't have to answer out loud, but just think about that. What do you think it did to me? It actually made me, it actually more scared me off of like, what in the world is going on? Because again, nobody explained anything. Nobody Nobody even interpreted that I can remember. Nobody said anything that was intelligible in those times that I can remember. And again, we can look back in history and say, yeah, that was then, but this is now. That's not, it's not a problem. And I think, well, I wonder, is it a problem, though, in some senses? You know, we can come together sometimes. Oh, well, I'll say it this way. If you went to a church and somebody talked for 45 minutes and you go away going, I'm not really sure what he was talking about. And he was, he was speaking English. <laughs> and you're like... Boy, he was really excited about that, but I didn't understand half the words he used. And maybe the speed at which he's talking so fast, I can't keep up. And maybe he gave you seven sermons worth in one. You know, I don't know. There's speakers like that sometimes. Or somebody waxes so eloquent, they go right over your head, and you're like, I don't know what they were going on about. Or talk about something that's so non-important, so passionately, that you're just like, what's the point? What was the point of that message? What in the world are we talking about? What's the need of the hour? And again, we can still have the same problems without the issue of tongues and prophecy. We can get up and say something or make a church service about something, which in the, at the end of the day isn't really that important. And that's something we always have to be careful about as a church, in our own individual lives, as families. We always have to ask the question, what's the point? What is the takeaway? What's the goal here? What good does this thing do, right? And we, and we make priority decisions like that. But that, and that's ultimately what the Corinthians had wrong. Oh, tongues are the best. Why? Why are they the best? What are they doing? And he, he's been dealing with it again, explaining it. It doesn't, doesn't do near as good as you think it does. Let me tell you what would be better. And again, that's... That's the lesson. We're about pursuing what blesses others, not that just builds the ego or makes us look good or anything like that. As we go to verse 3, he says, But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. 
Now, he, that's a lot in that verse that he says that prophesying can do. And the point here, I mean, we're going to see in these next couple of verses, is simple. We're to build up, encourage, and comfort others. That's, that's really what ministry entails. That's what coming together as a church is meant to entail, to build up, encourage, and comfort others. And that's why Paul says, that's why I wish you could prophesy. Because then when that person gets up and speaks something from God, from the heart of God, it's going to build up the people. It's going to give some comfort. It's going to encourage. It's going to build them up in their faith. It's going to challenge them to follow God's word and God's ways. And it's going to speak comfort and consolation to people going through difficult situations and hardships in life. Right away we see, see that benefits other people. That benefits others, and that's why Paul is emphasizing that here. Again, in verse 4, he says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. It is interesting to me, again, how he says, The one who speaks in tongues edifies himself. The guy who could get up and do that would, would, would have felt the power of the Spirit, And would have thought, wow, look at what God can do through me. And sat down and everybody else is just kind of looking. And everybody else just, I mean, that's, good job, Steve. You know, and let's go on. You know, we didn't get anything from that, but good for you. You know, that's that's kind of how it can become. Even if we think of the idea of if tongues were meant to be a sign at that time, at some point the church doesn't need to see it over and over and over again. We got it. We know God's here. Let's Let's see some things that's going to build us up. Let's hear about that. Let's hear about some truth that's going to change our lives. So again, he says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Maybe it's the flesh in me, but there's a lot of people I'd like to repeat this verse to out there in the world today that I think, again, prize this gift above everything and would even go so far as to judge one's spirituality or even their salvation based on one's ability to do such a thing. And he says, all it does is edify you. It doesn't really build up anybody else. Why make such a big deal out of it? But prophecy, everybody can get something. The whole church can be built up from a word from the Lord. Now, again, I believe Paul is talking about the supernatural ability to prophesy here, that it was a direct word from the Lord given to the church at that time because of God, what God was doing in that moment in time. But yet, there is so much application for us because it, it speaks to us, what should our ministry be characterized by? When we have a message up here, like this morning, hopefully it's meeting the criteria of verse 3. That when we share things here in this local assembly, or have lessons, or go to God's word, that what is shared builds people up. That it encourages them in some way to continue on with the Lord in their daily lives. And brings comfort to the hurting hearts in our congregation. That is certainly my prayer. That everything we do as a church. That that is what is happening. And again it's also why we structure our services the way we do. We give time for prayer. For singing. And for those things. But we probably give the most time to the instruction from God's word. Why do we do that? Because we want to hear from God. right? We want to prize that above all. Everything else goes along with it. And when it's all done decently and in order and it's harmony, it's a beautiful thing. 
That's what the Corinthian church was missing. And just one of the things that were going on in their church is, you'll see it as we go through chapter 14. He later tells them to do everything decently and in order. Because what was going on there is, the person would think, hey, I've got a word from the Spirit, and he'd just stand up and start talking in something nobody could understand. Somebody else might do it. Maybe they were doing it at the same time. And maybe the guy behind him was trying to give him a word of prophecy at the same time. And so you can imagine, it would turn into chaos pretty quick. Everybody thought, what I have to say is so important. And it was being done out of order. And I think, wouldn't that be fun if somebody's up here trying to preach and Pastor Lynn's going on the piano and, uh, you know, and Tom's got a video playing at the same time. It would really, really re-edifying, wouldn't it? You wouldn't know what was going on. You wouldn't know where to even look, right? That seems to be kind of something the Corinthians struggled with as well, as he tells them later again. You've got to have some order here. You know, do it this way. Give respect to each other. Give love to each other. <clears throat> As we go on with verse 6, now we're going to look at verses 6 through 12 and kind of echoing the same thought, but here we'll say ministry is meant to profit others. Again, just everything we do is meant to be for the blessing of others, not for our self. In verse 6 he says, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? There's our word profit. Unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying or by teaching. Verse 7, he says, Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. But in this section here, again, just the admonition that I take away is we are to choose those things with which best serves others. Again, that's what we're about. In verse 6, he says, he gives what he would rather be doing, what Paul says, what he would rather be doing. He says, if I come speaking with tongues, what profit is that for you? Unless... Instead, he gives some word of revelation, knowledge, prophesying, or teaching. Those four categories are something that could be understood that he's talking about. He's basically saying, if I come to you, I would rather give you a teaching, a prophecy, some revelation, a word of knowledge. I would rather that. So you can take that and do something with it in your Christian life. But if I just speak in tongues, not a whole lot of profit there in the context of the local church. That was Paul's viewpoint there. What's going to communicate truth to others? That's what we want to prize. And again, in verse 6, those things he's talking about, these are the supernatural manifestations of the spirit of the day. There were people who could speak revelation from God, word of knowledge, again, prophesying, or even teaching at times, that he's talking about these things the spirit could, could give the individuals in the church in that time. So he is still, he's showing this, he has a different value system than what the Corinthian church was applying. And then he gives us some fun illustrations in the next couple of verses. And I'm sure Pastor Lynch just wanting to hear what I have to say about verse 7. Verse 7 seems to describe more my musical talent than his. (laughs) As he talks about being able to discern between the notes (laughs) of music. That sounds more like what I need to hear. 
But again, verse 7, he says, he says, even in things without life, inanimate objects, whether flute or harp, if they make a sound, unless they may make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? He's saying, just like tongues, you get up, you can say things in tongues, and, it, and it's, okay, I heard it, I don't know what was said, what do I do with it? He says, so it can be in other areas of life, like music. If somebody get up and just, you know... I kind of think of the, you know, when a, a lot of times when you're in school, the first instrument they ever hand you is the recorder. I almost thought about bringing one up here and just like going, boop, 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 <laughs> and just saying, sing along now, boop, 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 and you'd be like, what are we singing? <laughs> I don't know what you're playing. I don't even, it just sounds like you're playing one note over and over and over again, and by most people's definition, that's not a melody, that's not a song, it's probably more described as noise, <laughs> and that's what he's saying. He's like, if people out there, you, yeah, anybody can, anybody can play the flute, but it may sound terrible, and it may just be screechy and one note over and over and over again. And you would be, as an audience, begging for it to end. <laughs> you would be praying zealously for it to end. Same with the harp. Again, he's just using that illustration. If, you, if, if, if music's playing and it's not really music, you're not going to gain anything from it. And then he uses another illustration in verse eight about the, or excuse me, yeah, verse eight about trumpets sounding during a battle. And 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 this is something you understand. This was true in the Old Testament. It's it, true in a lot of ancient cultures with military. They relied on trumpet calls. Even in our country, it, before you know, radio and all that, you'd hear a bugle. People blow the trumpet, the sound to charge, the sound to retreat. And there's probably other sounds they could play to veer left or veer right as a mass group of a thousand soldiers would need to hear something to know what are we doing. Because you're not going to hear the guy in the back yelling over all the sound of battle. You need something loud that would penetrate the air that you could hear to give you guidance. And you see that in the Old Testament with the Jewish people. They relied on trumpets in battle to guide the armies and basically, hey, charge, retreat, and so forth. And he says, he uses the illustration basically... You know, like being in a battle and somebody's blowing a trumpet and you can't tell one blow from the next. You don't have any idea what's being communicated. And how would that end in a battle? Very, very badly, right? That's a pretty serious illustration he uses. Like, like he's kind of like almost inferring disaster in battle. It's not going to build up. It's not going to encourage. It's not going to comfort. It's going to end in a disaster, and maybe he's gently poking at them. Be careful that they don't bring disaster upon themselves in the way they were handling God's gifts and misusing them and not using them to other people's profit, to bless others. As we go into verse 9, he goes now to back to tongues, but more so in the idea of just emphasizing that, that these are foreign languages. Verse 9, So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Ouch! Right? Ouch! <laughs> I really thought I was doing something special. I just, Paul says, I just speak it into the air. He says that's, that's how profitable it is the way they were using these supernatural gifts of tongues. Again, it's foreign languages. That's all it was. They could speak in these languages. Sometimes somebody could understand it. Sometimes not. A lot of times it needed an interpreter. 
And I like how he says, words easy to understand. That again speaks to me as someone who's at least trying to strive to communicate well, that my words are easy to understand so people can take something away, learn something, understand something more about who Jesus Christ is and what he has for us today. Verse 10 says, There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. We live in a world of thousands of languages today. I saw a recent update from Wycliffe Bible Ministries. That's a ministry whose, whose mission is to translate Scripture in languages in which it does not exist yet. And so they target certain native tribes all over the world, and, and through their work, and before them, but including them to modern times, there's now, I believe, over 7,000 languages in the world that have at least some scripture translated for those who natively speak it. And I just, wow, wow. But Paul here, he talks about how many languages in the world, and they all have meaning. They all have significance, right? To who? To the people who speak them, that's who. You know, you may be sitting out there today, maybe you know more than one language. And you can hear a language, and you're like, oh, I recognize that. A lot of people who know multiple languages, it's said that when they, go, when they hear somebody speak their native language, they can pick it up out of a crowd because it sounds so familiar, even over the voices of others. Oh, I heard, I, I heard that. I know that. They pick it out. But everything else just gets lost. And that's how it is for any of us when we don't know languages. You know, we hear it. We don't know what's saying. We don't know what's going on. Again, what he's saying is make it profitable. What's the need? Let's use our gifts to, to, to minister to needs, not just to do stuff, not just to have activities. And I come to today, yeah, we're not, we're not sitting here trying to discern between tongues and prophecies in our local church. We're using the word of God to guide and shape our lives. But still, we make the decisions. We decide what's worth our time today as a group, as a church. What, what's the need? Where should our ministry be geared? You know, it's, it's today the plan, the plan, I'll say, is to go caroling out in the community. I think we're heading this way, right? We're going across the street. We're going over in that neighborhood to sing if we can. And, I, and, and what's the point of that? Is it just so we can sing and edify ourselves? No. If it was, I'd probably say, I'm going home. <laughs> you guys go ahead. You Knock yourselves out. <laughs> if we had a flute and a harp and a trump, it'd be different, though. No. But why are we doing it? We're doing it because, hey, it's something easy, caroling. It's easy to understand. It communicates to people. Uh, about Jesus Christ and his incarnation, right? It communicates that we care as a group of people to come to your door and say, hey, can we sing for you? Can we give you this track? Can we give you an invitation to our assembly so you know where we are and who we are? See, it, it's, it's, it's a way to bless other people, to minister in some little capacity. It really doesn't ask for a lot, and we can do something. And it's kind of a special thing in our day because so, there's so little of that that goes on anymore, right? It was common, surely in the past, more so, but not as much today. So again, it's something that becomes certainly enjoyable, but it's also, got a, little, it's also a little bit strategic. It has value. It's not just for us. 
It's for others. And so we get more excited about it, more passionate. Hey, we can, we can bless somebody today. And we've seen that in years past with things like this. And so that's what we make while we, while we do those things. We go in here, we'll read verses 11 and 12. He says, Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. We'll just make the point here that we are to seek those things which help the understanding of others. That's what we've been saying. That's what Paul was telling them. It's much better if you can provide something that somebody can understand and take something with them. Some, some truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want to impart. Increase their understanding, their knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Verse 11 is continuing that idea. There's all these languages in the world. But if you don't speak the language, it just sounds foreign. It's just foreign, right? And now, now if you're using King James this morning, it says barbarian, right? And it's because the Greek word translated foreign is barbaros. Barbaros. It's an onomatopoeia. You know what that is? It, 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 it's spelled like it sounds. So the reason I started the service today going bar, 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 bar. That's why the word barbarian exists, because they, were just, they used the word barbaros because they're saying what that guy's saying, that's all I hear is bar, 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 bar. So we're going to call him a barbarian. That's real gracious, but anyway. But that's where the word comes from. And that's, where, and that's why barbarian is like a transliteration of it. It was meant to, communi- to give the idea we're describing somebody that we don't even know their language. It, and it just, we don't understand what they're saying, so it just sounds like bar, bar, bar. Or we say it sounds like Greek to me, or whatever, whatever the idiom is of our time. <clears throat> anyway, now you know where bar, 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 bar came from. So I hope you were in suspense the whole time. And now that you have understanding, you can go out and apply that to your life. <laughs> you can call foreigners barbarians and, and, and with a good conscience now. No, I'm just kidding. But again, it's easy to understand what he's saying. What good does it do if we're talking to each other and we don't understand each other? That this just it doesn't do any good. And it, it kind of makes us think, like even over the course of history, when nations have had to work together, and they have different language and different culture. And there's the necessity for ambassadors and interpreters that know language and can come together and talk and have a meaningful, significant, understandable conversation. Right? Language is extremely important and always has been. And if you don't understand what somebody else is saying, very hard to work with them, isn't it? Very hard to have an idea. Matter of fact, what did the Lord do at the Tower of Babel? He made them all speak different languages. And what did that do? It ended the work overnight. They couldn't work together anymore. They couldn't understand any together. You know, they couldn't understand one another anymore, so they couldn't go on with the work. I kind of think of that when I read this chapter. and thinking the Corinthians were basically acting like, you know, the day after at Babel when they couldn't talk to each other anymore. That's about how profitable it was. They couldn't, how, what in the world could they do together if, if, if these people speaking in tongues couldn't say anything that was really understandable? Verse 12, as we come to the end of our section this morning, he says, Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel.
Again, they were zealous for those gifts that God was manifesting in that time. And Paul says, hey, that's good, because you can use these. And, and you can go back and you can read in Acts chapter 2 about when the Spirit came upon the disciples at Jerusalem that were waiting for Christ to come back and establish his kingdom, that a lot of them were speaking in tongues. And there was all these people that came from all over the world. They came to Jerusalem because it was one of Jerusalem's major feast days. And God had given the instruction in the Old Testament that at, at the Feast of um, Booths, right? That's the Pentecost one, right? Am I right about that? Okay. Get one head nodding. <laughs> we call it Pentecost because it because of the word for fifty, fifty days after Passover. But it was the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, and again the Jewish men were supposed to come to Jerusalem, come up to the temple, and so at Pentecost, when those guys go into Jerusalem and there's some of them are they're, they're speaking tongues, the Spirit of God's come on them, and it talks about all these Jews and proselytes from all over the Roman Empire and beyond, and they came from all these distant lands. But they came back to honor the law of Moses and their instruction, and they heard those guys speaking in the tongues that they had adopted in the Gentile lands. They understood them in their own languages. It was a supernatural work, and it proved everybody listening, God's doing something here. Now, because there were people who spoke those languages, there wasn't a need for an interpreter in that situation. They heard it, and it made sense. You know, just the opposite of that, what we were just joking about with barbarian. You know, they heard it and they pay attention. Whoa, he's speaking, that person's up there speaking uh, Greek. I don't know, they all spoke Greek. But anyway, they were speaking the languages they knew. And it, and it, and it drew them in. And, and, and so a lot of times that's how tongues worked. It was meant to, to bridge the language barrier at time. But in Corinth, as he says, like you're speaking sometimes nobody knows. And that's interesting to us. But again, they did it in this context for a sign. But, what it, but, but it, when you contrast the two situations, at Pentecost, it's more readily apparent what the prophet was, what the blessing was, what the point was. People could actually understand something that they otherwise wouldn't have understood. In Corinth, it's just the opposite. They're using a gift. Nobody understands it. And so what is it about now? If nobody here even speaks what you're talking about, what's the point? It's going to tend to be more for personal enrichment or showing off, not building up the church. So they really wanted those gifts. And they had, there were needs in time for even the gift of tongues at times that really, really made a difference. But it seems like that wasn't so much the case in Corinth. And that's one of the reasons Paul says, at least get an interpreter. Hopefully that somebody can interpret tongues so then they can at least tell the people what you just said. And they can take something away. So they were zealous for that. And that's okay. But notice just that last phrase of verse 12. Let it be for the edification of the, of the church that you seek to excel. And there you can see where we got our title this morning, Excelling in Edification. Make that the main thing, right? To build up others in the church, to build one another up. Whatever we choose to do, how we choose to minister, the things we choose to say and do, it's meant to build up others, encourage others, comfort others others and again when you come to this church our hope is you go away with a greater picture of who Jesus Christ is that you take something away that encourages and comforts your heart from his word to us today that we excel in those things what's sad as we've seen with the Corinthians is all this stuff they were blessed with but they were abusing all of it 
Even these spiritual gifts, they're abusing it. And you just see selfishness throughout the whole book. We can go through the whole list of issues, but there was just selfishness everywhere. They were, instead of using God's blessings to enrich one another, they were actually tearing each other down. They were tearing each other down. That's the opposite of edifying. We, in what we do, what we say, how we treat people, we either build up or we tear down. We were talking in a family worship recently about this very idea and and, and the idea that, you know, like our words... Our words are always like bricks. You can give a person a brick to build with, or you can throw a brick at them and tear them down with it, right? It's kind of like that. Like your word, that's, that's kind of like what you're doing. You, ha- you can give them a brick to build with, or you can throw a brick at them through your words. You can build up, or you can tear down. And Paul, we know where he calls us to pursue love in these things. Charles Franklin Benviger wrote a poem called A Builder or a Wrecker, and I'm going to close by reading this poem to you. As I watched them tear a building down, a gang of men in a busy town, with a ho-heave-ho and a lusty yell, they swung a beam, and the side wall fell. I asked the foreman, are these men skilled, and the men you'd hired if you wanted to build? He gave a laugh and said, no, indeed, just common labor is all I need. I can easily wreck in a day or two what builders have taken years to do. And I thought to myself as I went my way, which of these roles have I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care, measuring life by rule and square? Am I shaping my work to a well-made plan, patiently doing the best I can? Or am I a wrecker who walks to town, content with the labor of tearing down? O Lord, let my life and my labors be that which will build for eternity. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word to us this morning and its admonition to just continue to seek, to build each other up and courage and comfort, Father, in all our needs. We thank you for your word and the power of it. And we just pray you continue to work in each one of us to will and to do of your good pleasure. Lord, we just glorify you this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.